So as, as we've always said, Easter is the Super Bowl of all Sundays. Easter is the great day when we celebrate the most important event that has ever taken place in human history, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Alan so well said this morning in the sunrise service, that if it were not for the resurrection, then Christmas wouldn't matter. If it weren't for what Jesus did in rising from the dead and defeating death, hell, and the grave, nothing else that Jesus would have done would have mattered. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, then Jesus is just another man from the Middle East from the first century. But if the resurrection indeed happened, then he is God in the flesh, and he can truly save a dying, lost sinner like me. And I'm so thankful that he is indeed that. So today I want to talk about the sign of Jonah. So if you're taking notes, write this down, the sign of Jonah. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to see what God's word has for us today. And we're praying that God's word will pierce your heart. You may be today a Christian. You may know Jesus. He may be your savior, but maybe there's some things in your life that you need to get right. Maybe there's some uh, doubts and struggles that you're having. Maybe God's laid a burden on your heart and he wants you to serve him in a particular way. Maybe you're here with us this morning and you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have not committed to follow him and you have not given him your life. Well, my prayer today is that you will indeed trust the Lord Jesus Christ before you leave this place. I cannot save you. Pole Creek cannot save you. But I promise you that Jesus Christ can save you based upon his death his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. So if you have found Matthew chapter 12, if you will stand to your feet, we're going to be in verse 38. And the reason we stand to our feet as we read the word of God is we reverence God's word. God's word is our foundation as a church. It is our authority. And we alter our lives to fit the word. We never alter the word to fit our lives because God's word is absolute truth. So beginning in verse 38, of Matthew chapter 12, the Bible says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights." The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word as we know that it is inherently inspired and true that we can uh, use it for any type of understanding and instruction about life, that it is good for reproof and discipline, um, for instruction in living righteously. Lord, your word is complete and full. And Lord, as many of us are searching, uh, we're asking the hard questions about life. Jesus, I'm thankful that you answer the hard questions in your word. And today, God, I pray that we would allow your word to pierce our hearts as that double-edged sword, that you would pierce the very dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and God, that you would search our hearts. And if there be anyone here who has never trusted you, Jesus, today I pray that they would do that. God, if there are Christians here, I pray that they would grow closer to you, that they would commit to serve you in this day and age in which we're living. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to kind of catch you guys up to where we are in this story here about Jesus. So in chapter 12, there are a lot of different events that play out. 
All right, the Pharisees, which were this religious elite group of the Jewish people, were constantly badgering Jesus. They were constantly trying to get him to slip up. They were constantly trying to ask him difficult questions to get him to stumble over his words. And they were always out to get Jesus. And here we see in verse 38 that they are again questioning him and asking him for a sign. Well, just before this very uh, conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees, they, they rebuked his disciples on the Sabbath day for picking heads of grain and eating on the Sabbath. They were mad because Jesus healed a man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath. The Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons with the power of Satan. And then he told them very clearly, anyone that does not stand with me is against me. And we see here that the Pharisees, even though they had seen Jesus heal a man with a withered hand, even though they had seen Jesus uh, cast out demons from a possessed person, even though they had seen Jesus do all these great and vast miracles, they still, at the end of the day, asked for a sign. A lot of us would probably say today, you know what, if we saw a man fix someone's hand that had been maimed for years, if we had seen a man cast out a demon from someone and their whole demeanor and life changed. We had seen a man feed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. If we had seen these miracles, surely we would have believed. Well, here we have a group of people who indeed saw miracle after miracle after miracle, sign after sign after sign, and they still chose not to believe in the Lord Jesus. We see later on in the story that they continually want to stone Jesus. They continually want to make Jesus slip up and mess up. The Pharisees had determined in their mind that they were not going to submit to King Jesus, that they just were not going to do it no matter what. So with all that in light, with all that understanding now, we get to this conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, and they say, give me a sign, and Jesus says, I will give you no other sign than the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we're going to look a little bit more about what that is. So as you guys are taking notes, we're going to consider three different questions about life after death, three very important questions about life after death. And if you're taking notes, make sure you write these down. The first question that I want to ask you today is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today, you might be someone who's never accepted Jesus. You've had opportunities. You've heard the gospel. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you've had a praying grandmother. Maybe you've had influences in your life that have shared the gospel with you, but you've always said, no, that's not for me. You've always said, you know what? I'm just not quite at the right place in my life. I'm not really somebody who does the church stuff. And you've continued to reject, and you've continued to say, just give me a little bit more time. Well, my question today for you is, what are you waiting for? In verse 38, we know exactly what the Pharisees were waiting for. It says in verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. In other words, they were making this claim that, Jesus, if you just perform one more miracle, if you just do one more miraculous thing, then we might believe. If you'll just do that one, raise one more person up from the dead, feed 5,000 more people, heal one more demon-possessed person, heal one more lame man, heal one more blind man, then maybe we'll believe. You know, growing up, my friends and I, we like to go to the Davidson River. How many like to go to the Davidson River out in Brevard? Any of you? So if you go up through the, the park there, and you're on that two-lane road, about uh, two miles in, you'll see a picnic area on the left. Now, I'm not making this up because you can't make this kind of stuff up, but the name of it is Coon Tree. 
Okay, only the name Coon Tree are you going to find in Brevard, North Carolina. All right, so I promise you I'm not lying. But anyways, this picnic area is sitting on the side of the road. You walk back into the picnic area. You keep walking, and you get to the Davidson River. And back there on the Davidson River, there's a couple of different rocks, a couple of different levels of rocks. And you can swim across the river, and you can climb up those rocks, and you can jump off the rocks back into the river. So my friends and I would go up there a lot. And it never failed, though. When we would swim across that cold creek, which it was literally the coldest water on planet Earth, I actually had someone who had swam in waters in Canada and swam the Davidson River, and they swore the Davidson River was colder than the waters in Canada. So I don't know how true that is, but that's what he said. But anyways, you swim across, you climb up that rock, and you get up on that rock, and you're looking over down to that little creek. But the thing is, is me, I would never just jump. I would always wait. I would always just stand there and look into the water. And my things going through my mind would be, you know, maybe the, the waters have shifted. The last time I jumped in there, you know, that hole was plenty deep enough. But what if a storm came and washed a big rock right there and I jump in and I hit a rock? Or what if I hit my head on something and I drown? Or, you know, all these different things. Not to mention the rude awakening that I'm going to get from the cold water. And a lot of times my friends would scream up to me, Ben, what are you waiting for? Jump! They'd say, all right, we're going to count down from 10. Will you jump when we get to 1? Yeah, just count down for me. They'd go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh, what are you waiting for, Ben? And all of us have different reasons why we wait on things. All of us have different reasons why we don't do A, B, or C. But today, as we're talking about your eternal life, and you have never accepted Jesus, my question for you truly is, what are you waiting for? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Are you waiting for just that great sign from God? Are you waiting for just maybe you to fix your life just a little bit more? And by the way, that is futile because the Lord wants you to come as you are. Hey, he does the saving. He does the changing. He's the one that changes your old wicked heart into a pure heart. You can't do that. No matter how good you are, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many times you turn over a new leaf, I'm here to tell you that you can't make yourself good. And you can never, ever make yourself good enough to get to a place called heaven. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And guess who's included in that all? Me and you. For all have sinned. So today, as we think through that, my question for you is, what are you waiting for? Maybe you're watching one of those suspense thriller movies. You know, those kind of movies that get your blood pressure up, get your heart rate pumping. Maybe it's like a sci-fi movie with a weird monster in it or something, and the monster is sneaking up to this house full of people. And they're loud, and they're screaming, and they're having a big time, like, be quiet, be quiet. Well, then the monster bursts through the door, and everybody just looks there. And there's a gun right there on the coffee table. But instead of someone grabbing the gun and shooting the monster, you know what they do? They just stand there. What are you waiting for? Kill the monster, right? It's, it's easy. It's simple. My question for you is, there is eternal life waiting for you. The Lord Jesus has paid the price. He has given it all. He said it is finished when he gave up his spirit. He rose from the dead three days later. What are you waiting for? The God of eternity is extending to you eternal life. And the Bible teaches that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Isn't that amazing that he doesn't want you to do this big, amazing thing to get eternal life? He doesn't expect you to check off all these boxes of do's and don'ts. He doesn't expect you to keep this strict code of righteousness. But he simply says, trust in me. 
Rest your eternity in what I've done for you, and I'll save you. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to me, and I will give you eternal life. It is so, so simple. What are you waiting for? I hope that you're not like those Pharisees. They had actually seen Jesus. They had actually seen Jesus do those mighty works, and yet they still refused to believe. They were committing the sin of unbelief, and we know ultimately that is called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that is the unpardonable sin. If you die without Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible teaches that you will go to a place called hell. You say, Ben, is God that mean? Hey, listen, he's just that gracious that he provided a way out. Hey, you know what I deserve on my best day is hell. I'm a sinner. My brain is corrupted with the sin nature. My heart is corrupted with sin nature. I don't do what I should do. I do what I, don't, I shouldn't do. I have all these issues as a sinner, but yet the God of glory still was willing to send his only begotten son to save an old sinner like me. And today it's up to you to reach out and receive that gift of eternal life. The next question that I want you to answer this morning is this. How can you know? You may be asking this morning, Ben, that all sounds great. And hey, there's not a person in here that would not want eternal life. But how can you know that what you're saying is true, Ben? There's so many other religions. There's so many other belief systems. There's so many other ideas of the afterlife. How can you know? Well, the Bible teaches us, and even Jesus teaches us here in verses 39 and 40, exactly how we can know. We'll start in verse 39 there in Matthew chapter 12. If you'll look back there at your Bible, the Bible says this. He answered them, talking about Jesus, an evil, adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights." Do you guys remember the story of Jonah? I think every person that has grown up in church has learned of the story of Jonah. I ask my children, and Henry always says his favorite Bible story is the story of Jonah. And Jonah goes a little something like this. Jonah was a prophet of God, and God came to Jonah and asked him to preach the message of repentance to the wicked city of Nineveh. Jonah was disobedient, though, and he ran from God. And as he was on a ship heading for another city to run from God, the Bible teaches us that he was thrown overboard by the crew because they knew that the bad storm that they were experiencing was because Jonah had disobeyed God. They threw Jonah over into the sea, and God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Bible teaches us that Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. While he was in the belly of that fish, he got right with God. He turned from his evil and his wicked ways, from his disobedience, and he told the Lord, Lord, I will go to the people of Nineveh if you let me out of this fish. After repenting of his disobedience, God commanded the fish to spit Jonah out on dry land. He then went to Nineveh and preached the message that God gave him. And what we see here in the story of Jonah is a beautiful parallel of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Just like Jonah was cast over off the boat into the water to his death, Jesus indeed died on an old rugged cross. Just like Jonah spent three days inside the belly of the well, Jesus indeed spent three days in the tomb. And just like Jonah was spit out on dry land, back to life, receiving his life and being saved, Jesus indeed rose from the dead. 
So here Jesus is telling the Pharisees, listen, I'm not going to give you any more signs because it wouldn't matter what I did. You're not going to believe. But I'll tell you, there is one sign that is sufficient. And if you choose not to believe this sign, then there's nothing else I can do for you. And it was the sign of the prophet Jonah. And what that sign is today, my friends, is that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again. And still you may say, well, Ben, how do you know? Listen, these men who wrote the Bible, they could have been corrupted. They could have been lying. They could have been doing all these things. My friends, I could preach an entire another sermon series on the evidences of Jesus' resurrection. You can read people like Lee Strobel, who was a, he was an atheist through and through. He would tell you to your face. He was an atheist. He hated Christianity. As a matter of fact, his wife came to Christ. And he hated Jesus because he said Jesus had taken his wife from him. Did you know that Lee Strobel set out to disprove the resurrection? He asked a biblical scholar one day, he said, what do I have to do to prove that this Christian stuff is, is malarkey and no good? The scholar told him, he said, disprove the resurrection and you will have debunked the entire faith of Christianity. So Lee Strobel, a, a renowned journalist, knew how to do investigative reporting, knew how to find resources, knew how to interview. He set out to disprove the resurrection and guess what ended up happening? He got saved. Did you know that he is a great college professor now at Colorado Baptist University? That he has written book after book after book about how he knows that Jesus indeed rose from the dead? A, a renowned atheist, but when he looked at the facts, when he looked at the sign, the sign of Jonah, he noticed that all evidence pointed to an empty tomb. No body. Body was gone. And if every report that you ever hear always says the tomb is empty, guess what the chances are? The tomb was empty. And guess what? All of the testimonies that the gospel writers wrote about in the Bible that were so well documented using actual geographical locations, using a timeline of actual years, using the names of real people, they testified to the actual events of the resurrection of Jesus. And what I've said for a long time is, I've never had to convince anyone to believe in the Civil War. Not a one of you are going to tell me, Ben, the Civil War didn't happen. I know you won't. But there's also not a one of you that was actually in the Civil War. There was not a one of you who was actually present at one of the battles in the Civil War. But you'll swear to it, the Civil War happened. Well, how do you know it happened? It's written in books. Historical documentation that people have written over the years, and it has been reserved and preserved for us to read today. The textbooks that our children use in history class. How do you know that stuff happened? People have documented it. They saw eyewitness accounts, they wrote it down, and it was passed down generation to generation for us today. But why in the world are we holding the Bible to a higher standard? Why do we say, well, yeah, Ben, I know the Bible says all these things about Jesus, but... How do you really know? Well, I'd ask you the same question about Abraham Lincoln. Was he a real person? Was he a president? Have you ever met Abraham Lincoln? Could you introduce me to him? No, but you believe it. See, here's the problem that society, what society has done to us. They have convinced us that the supernatural is illogical. They have convinced us that when something cannot be explained by being able to recreate the activity or be able to, to observe the activity, that it must be false. And that, my friends, is poor logic. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, person after person after person that the Apostle Paul was able to verify who actually saw the risen Savior post-resurrection. 
Now I'm talking a Jesus who had been crucified, a Jesus who had been killed, a Jesus who had no breath left in his body, who was laid lifeless in a tomb. These people saw him walking around after all that happened. They were actually able to walk up to him, put their hands around him. They witnessed him eating. Hey, last time I checked, a ghost couldn't eat. You gotta have a real stomach. You gotta have a real body. You gotta have blood pumping through your veins in order for you to eat, in order for you to be hugged, in order for you to have a conversation. This was the testimony of person after person. Paul even said some 500 people testified to witnessing Jesus after his resurrection. So how can you know? Just look at the evidence. Just look at the facts. Hey, I'm not trying to convince you of something. I'm just trying to share with you the facts. And if you can really honestly research the facts and tell me that you believe Jesus' body was still in that tomb and you believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then so be it. You're a Pharisee and you're never gonna believe. But hey, maybe there's some of you out there today that says, you know what, I'm tired of waiting. You know what, there's nothing else that I can do. Hey, there's nowhere else I can run. Maybe your life's in shambles today. Maybe your family's falling apart. Maybe you've been given a bad diagnosis of a sickness. Maybe your marriage is suffering. Maybe your children are wayward. Maybe there's all these things going on in your life and you say, Ben, I've tried everything. I've tried all that I can. I've done all that I can. What can I do now? Run to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the healing business. He's in the saving business. And you know what I love about the Lord Jesus? He never leaves you and he never forsakes you. You may say, Ben, all my friends have left me. Well, I know of one that'll never leave you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, this is that same Jesus that rose from the dead, the Jesus who is indeed God in the flesh. I want us to look at a few different things here just quickly, and you're welcome to turn if you'd like, but you don't have to. I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 3. How do you know? We well, you know the Bible is not only a spiritual book, but it's a historical book. And what's interesting about the Bible is, is that it's never been proven wrong. Historically, geographically, archaeologically, the Bible is 100% truth spiritually in all the other uh, categories that it could possibly be true in. The Bible talks about true geographical locations, and it's kind of interesting that science always has to catch up to the Bible. Did you know the Bible taught that the earth was round, before man even knew it was round. The Bible teaches about the constellations, about what they are, before man even come up with that, because the Bible is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So beginning in 1 Corinthians 15, we're gonna start in verse three, and the Bible says this. This is Paul speaking. He's talking about the resurrection. For I passed on to you as most important that I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who was the apostle Peter, then to the 12, talking about the original disciples. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Did you hear about his ability to go and verify these eyewitness accounts? Because he makes the claim in verse 6 that most of them are still alive. 
So what Paul was saying is, as I am writing this letter by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, many of these people who saw Jesus are still alive. In other words, I've been able to go and talk to them. I've been able to go and ask them about what they saw. Ask them about when they saw Jesus after his resurrection. Ask them about what it was like to touch him and to hug him and to talk with him after he had risen from the dead. He's saying there is ample proof. As we've said so many times, if there is a murder case and you had over 500 people who said, so-and-so did it, guess who's going to jail? So-and-so. A jury is not going to need to be convinced any further if there are 500 witnesses that say this happened. Today, in God's word, over 500 witnesses said that Jesus rose from the dead. They saw him with their own eyes after he rose. Acts chapter 1, if you want to go to Acts chapter 1 with me just quickly, we're going to see something else here. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. A lot of people say, well, Ben, isn't the Bible just a fairy tale? Well, in order for something to be a fairy tale, it needs to uh, claim to be that. It needs to use language that is known in fairy tales. Well, the Bible does not claim to be a fairy tale. The Bible in many portions, and especially these that I'm reading, claims to be historical, factual information. It claims to be truth. Don't try to make the Bible something that it itself does not claim to be. If you do that, you're reading into the meaning and you're actually being illogical in how you see that. But beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, the Bible says this, I wrote the first narrative, and this is Luke talking, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So right off the bat, Luke is saying, the very first book that I wrote, which was the Gospel of Luke, is what he's referring to here, I set out to write everything that Jesus did and everything that he taught. In other words, I followed, I I questioned, I saw, I looked, I questioned people. What did Jesus do in his ministry? And then he actually wrote down the account, a factual, step-by-step, event-by-event account. And then he says, until the day he was taken up. In other words, Luke wanted to write an account that was from the birth of Jesus all the way till the day he ascended into heaven. It says, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, And in verse 3, listen to this. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Here we have another account, another mention of the fact that Jesus convincingly, in a way that can be proven, made himself known to people after he had risen from the dead. So how can you know? Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. You may say, Ben, you're, you're, a, you're a crackpot preacher and I'm not listening to you. You know, and you're, hey, you have a right to that opinion. I've been called a lot worse, okay? But you can't say that about the evidence. You can't say that about the facts. And if today you're still not convinced when all is said and done, I beg you to go and search. I beg you to go and look and don't be satisfied until you have found the evidence. And lastly, the last question that I want to ask you about life after death, what happens if you don't trust Jesus? What happens if you don't? Verses 41 through 42 of Matthew chapter 12 speak to that. If you'll go back to that, uh, that passage, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. 
The Bible says this, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this great generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and look, something greater than Solomon is here. What happens if you don't accept Jesus? Well, let me give you all a little, bit, little story. So I, I took an adventure one day to the tag office. How many people absolutely love going to the tag office? Not me. I never have and I probably never will. But anyways, I went to the tag office and I turned in a tag and uh, evidently I turned it in before the insurance or after the insurance had been canceled. So I canceled the insurance and then a couple days later I turned the tag in. Well, you know how communist North Carolina is, you know, they, <laughs> they didn't like the fact that I had the tag for two days without insurance on it. So they said, well, sir, you're going to have to pay a fine. So then I, and I probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, well, ma'am, what happens if I don't pay the fine? Because I just want to know, you know, what, what are the consequences? <laughs> because I don't want to just give up 50 bucks if I, if the consequences are worth, you know, not doing it. She said, well, sir. Next time you bring a registration in to have it renewed, we won't renew it. And then you can't drive any of your vehicles. I said, all right. She said, do you want to pay the fine now or do you want us to bill you? I said, send me a bill. And it's not come yet. So, <laughs> But anyways, sometimes it's good to ask, well, what happens if I don't do this? What happens if I don't you know, do what I need to do in this situation? Well, today I'm going to tell you this, that if you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, there are grave, grave consequences. You know, we love to talk about heaven and we should talk about heaven because for a Christian, that is gonna be our eternal home one day in the presence of the Lord Jesus. But what happens for those who don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I wanna take you to a story in the book of Luke chapter 16. And you're welcome to turn over there if you would like. But I'm gonna read it here, Luke chapter 16. And I want us to see an event that Jesus talks about of a man who didn't, of a man who did not go about receiving eternal life as he should have. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, the Bible says this. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. 
But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Today, as we think about this sign of Jonah, and we think about the Pharisees who wanted just one more sign, even Jesus confirmed there that, listen, if you've got it in your mind that you're not going to accept Jesus, it doesn't matter what kind of sign is sent your way. It doesn't matter what you see. You are not going to accept him because you have determined in your heart that you don't want Jesus. But today, if you will listen, if you will be reasonable about the evidence that proves that Jesus indeed rose from the dead, that you will believe on him and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, the Bible teaches us that you can be saved. In, in the sign of Jonah, Jesus tells them that there's going to be a day when people who did not accept Jesus are going to stand before the judgment of God and the wicked people of Nineveh who repented at the preaching of Jonah will condemn them and say, listen, we had a very short sermon from Jonah, a man who was not even of our own people before Bibles were even created, before anything was able to be held as a testimony, and we repented of our sins in Nineveh that day. And you... You had all the evidence of the crucifixion. You had every Bible you can imagine, shelves full of the Word of God, churches on every street corner, and you chose not to believe. Hey, listen, that's going to be a hard day for a lot of people. But you know what I'm thankful for? Everyone under this roof today, everyone watching online today, you still have breath in your lungs. You know what that means? It's not settled yet for you. You can trust in Jesus, you can be saved. Now, if you leave this church today not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you're taking a chance. Hey, you know what? Any one of us could get in a fatal car accident today. Any one of us could be diagnosed with a fatal disease. Anything could happen at any given time. And you know what? I'm just not that kind of a betting man. I'm not willing to bet my eternity. When I know there is a great God who loves me and who died for me and who, who loved me enough to save me and for me to leave that gift unaccounted for and to not receive that gift, to simply put your hand out and trust in Jesus and repent of your sins, my friends, what a tragedy that would be. Today, I want you to know that I care about you and this church cares about you. And today, I want you to know there is a Savior in heaven who died for you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. You know what Jesus did that day when he rose from the dead? The Bible teaches us that he defeated, he, he beat death, hell, and the grave. You know what that means? You don't have to fear death when you're in Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear hell when you know Jesus Christ. And you don't have to fear the grave because he beat all three of them when he rose from the dead. Let's pray. Bow your heads this morning.